1: Welcome to Speaking to Influence podcast. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice, and founder of Vocal Impact Productions. My guest today is none other than Michael Houlihan, founder of Barefoot Wines, America's number one wine brand, and the co-author of the New York Times bestseller, The Barefoot Spirit. He's a consultant, a workshop leader, a speaker, and co-author of weekly blogs at thebarefootspirit.com and www.consumerbrandbuilders.com as well. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Great to be here, Laura. Thank you.
1: Before we get into the official interview style questions, when we were talking the other day, you've done so many things, many of which for anybody out there who reads The Barefoot Spirit, you'll learn how so much of this success was completely unexpected in that you never expected to go into the wine business in the first place. So... I wanted to ask you if you could go back and do it all over again. If you could do anything, be anything, regardless of talent, regardless of skills, what would it be?
2: Oh, boy. That's a really good question, Laura. I got so confused trying to make a living that I never really thought about that. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, in hindsight, I have to say that the most rewarding thing that I have ever done is what I'm doing now. And I could sit here and say, oh, I would really like to go back and be a mentor and a teacher and an advisor to folks. But you know, I wouldn't have had that experience. So, you know, you gotta leave a little blood on the mat before they can (laughs) believe you that you know how to box. Sure, I think that's great. If I could go back, I don't know, I I really like teaching. I I love the opportunity of working, especially with millennials and being able to see how it is that my experience can help them and save them time and money. And when I see them
1: succeed, I am just thrilled. I always said, why bother making the same mistake twice when there's so many new ones to try? Yeah, that's it. (laughs) So why don't you give people a quick understanding, aside from building America's number one wine brand, what is it that you are doing? You said, if I couldn't do what I'm doing now, can you give us a general sense of what that is? Okay,
2: so now what we're doing is very interesting. We are basically saving the legacy of founders, and we're doing it in a theatrical format on MP3, which is also known as an audio book. So what we're doing is we're taking the founders' stories, their seminal moments, those scenes with actors and actresses and actions and outcomes that demonstrate a certain business principle. So it's kind of entertaining, you know, so the person comes to work, it's their first day, and here's something for your earbuds, download this. So they do, and now they're listening to their founder, he's in the garage, you know, the cops are knocking on the door, the banker's at the other door, the phone's ringing off the hook, his wife is yelling at him, he's run up all his credit cards, he has to make a sale the next day or he's out of business, and he doesn't really know what he's doing, he's fumbling and stumbling and floundering. But guess what? He built that multimillion-dollar job, that business that is offering you that job. And so now you identify with them and whatnot. So what we're doing now is we're preserving people's legacy in a way that reduces turnover and increases engagement.
1: That sounds like so much fun for a founder to be able to tell their story, tell the story of their company. We've watched the Steve Jobs building Apple documentaries, docudramas, docu-whatever they may be, but doing it instead of in movie format in audiobook.
2: I love the concept of audiobook because you're not tethered to your device. You know, you can be jogging, you know, you can be changing your baby's sure. diapers or cooking a fine meal. What I really like about audio over video is video stretches your imagination up to about the size of the screen. But if you remember those pictures from the old 1940s pictures where the family was in the living room and they were surrounding the radio and they were just staring at the radio, staring at that speaker, but there was no screen there. So people today might look at them and say, what are they so intent about? Well, there's a whole movie going off in their brain and they are participating in the movie. That's great. Because they go out and grab props. Sure from the milestones in their own brains so they become part of the story.
1: But it's not just an audiobook. I mean, I wrote a book and I have an audiobook version of it. My audiobook is me reading my book aloud, narrating my own work. You actually do it as an old-fashioned radio play style where there's sound effects and there's actors playing all the different roles. So it takes it the concept of audiobook to a whole different level.
2: Exactly, exactly. There's a knock at the door, there's a hush. All of a sudden somebody walks in. Oh my god, it's so and so. And then the dialogue starts and then the music builds and then there's more sound effects.
1: And I have listened to the Barefoot Spirit. The story is amazing. And the experience of listening to it is oh, equally, you. it just, it really sucks you in. You forget where you are. Just like a good audiobook should do, this just is that much more engaging because there's so much more to it. So I love the idea of you being able to help others tell their story and hopefully I'll be able to do the same one of these days and get you to help me tell mine.
2: <laughs> well, we, so, love, we love we love to help founders, you know, I mean, just to get through what we've gotten through. I mean, you should get a lot more than a badge. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just, oh my
1: God. <laughs> yeah. So, so in this new role, the fact that you've gone from building wineries and the wine brand to this new whole program. And again, you're a coach and you do trainings beyond the audiobooks in helping companies to build and scale and even sell, who do you need to influence? I mean, it seems like there's, there's so many hands in so many different pots. When you think about your role and all that you do, Where does influence come into play?
2: Well, you know, there's influence on many different levels, okay? Sure. Uh, In the wine industry, uh, we had to make seven sales. So we had to influence seven different people. We had to influence our own employees with leadership and direction. They had to believe that we had their best interests at heart. Then we had to influence our distributor ownership, and they were interested in the strategic value that we could give their company because we offered one supermarket that carried our product in their territory that they didn't have and it made them more powerful as a distributor just to get our product and then we had to influence their sales director and all he cared about was making the numbers so we had to show him that we had a representative on our payroll that would make sales so he would make his numbers and look good even if his own people failed him and then we had to sell his sales and they were coin operated they wanted to know what was in it for them the spiff Mm. you know the commission and then we had to sell the retail buyers and they wanted to know was it a fast mover then we had to sell the clerk and he wanted to know why he was important and then we got to sell mrs mcgillicuddy who was buying the wine but (laughs) is that all that's seven people right there and in order to influence them you have to really put yourself in their shoes and have some empathy for their position And how is it that what you're trying to do fits into their scheme? So that was then. But now what we're trying to do is we're trying to help founders influence their own people by saying, hey, I'm not that much different than you. You can identify with me. I've had troubles just like you've had troubles. I've been out of money just like you have. I had to stay up at night and worry just like you do. And guess what? I built this company. See, and you're working here, and I need your help, and here's what you can do for me. And so that whole idea is conveyed in story form. So I'm using story as a tool of influence.
1: Yeah. And it's the ability, I think you hit on something really critical, which pretty much answers the next question I was going to ask as far as what kind of skills you would need to develop in order to have that influence. And the concept of empathy, being able to think a step or two ahead and figure out, what is that person, what's their priority? What's their need? Because that's the question that they want to have answered. Is my understanding you correctly?
2: Absolutely. You know, if you can't put yourself in the other guy's shoes, actually we give a course and it's called How Soft Skills Earn Hard Cash. But yeah. you can boil the whole thing down to what does the other guy really want? Not what do you think he wants, not even what he says he wants. Not what the industry says he wants. Not what the general public has an opinion about what he wants. Because the biggest mistakes we made in our business was we followed popularly held misconceptions about the marketplace. And those popularly held misconceptions, they were all wrong. When we got into the marketplace, when we really started talking to people, we found out that the things they wanted were surprisingly different than we had ever imagined.
1: Like what? Well,
2: like we talked about the clerk, okay? So here's this guy, he's a clerk in a store, right? He's either working his way through college or he's a high school grad. This guy is critical because if he doesn't take your wine and put it in Mrs. McGillicuddy's hand and say, this is great wine, you know, you can trust me, I'll be here tomorrow, you can come back and throw it at me if if I'm wrong, (laughs) you know, the thing is he's putting his reputation on the line with her. And the, the fact of the matter is it's making him feel important. Yeah. What we're doing is we're singling him out and we're saying after all this other stuff that we went through to get you right down to this clerk right now in a store. This is where the rubber meets the road. Right. This is where the distribution meets the customer. And you are it. You're on the front lines and you're very important. And uh, you know, we don't just give him a baseball cap and take him out to lunch, which we do but we also tell him why he's important. And guess what? He will reorder our product. We won't have to ask him. He will promote our product. We won't have to ask him because he knows that the people behind that product think he's important.
1: It's funny. I've always said that everybody in the world listens to the same universal radio station, WIFM. What's in it for me?
2: (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) You can answer that question. An awful lot of doors open up. So no. that doesn't strike me as a lesson that was easy to learn. Like, oh, we're on chapter six of how to run a business book. Number one, make <laughs> sure you figure out how all the, what all these people want, and then you're in. So no. tell us about a mistake that you made along the way or a lesson that you had to learn the hard way.
2: Okay, so this is like confession, right?
1: Yes, exactly.
2: So like, bless me, Father, I've sinned.
1: <laughs> bless me, Mother, yes.
2: Here it is. Okay, Like most people who develop products or services, we can't help as human beings falling in love with our products and services. I mean, our friends like it. Our mom likes it. You know, the logo's cute. Everybody says it's killer. You know, it's very cool. We use the cool word a lot. But nobody has really asked the other guy what he wants. And so for the first, say, three to five years of our business, the biggest mistake I made was going out there and beating everybody up about features and benefits. Mm. And I mean, I couldn't believe it. You know, I got this report that our wines were not selling at this supermarket in Minnesota in the St. Paul. So I got on a plane, flew back there, and I wanted to know why because it was a big supermarket, very important. And when I get there, it's out of stock. And I said, of course, it isn't selling. It's not in stock. <laughs> so I went in the back room to see if there was any in stock and there was the wrong sku the 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 wrong oh. type of wine was back there it was our product but they delivered the wrong type and like two months had gone by and by that time the scans were showing up on everybody's screen and there was no sales in that store mm. So I went to the distributor and they said, well, it's not my fault. You know, it must've happened overnight when they picked these orders. You know, maybe you have to go talk to Jimmy in the warehouse. So I go talk to Jimmy. He says, Oh no, that's not my fault. He says, you got to talk to Fred. He's the forklift operator. I said, what time does Fred come in? He said, midnight. Mm. I set my alarm. I got up, you know, at quarter to midnight, I went down there. I took a sandwich with me. uh, And I sat down, you know, with this forklift operator. And I said, Just pray tell me one thing. How come you've made all these misdeliveries? He says, get up on that forklift. He says, I want to show you something. He says, look out. He says, what do you see? I said, well, I see a dark, dimly lit warehouse. He says, what's in that box over there? I said, well, I can't tell. The tag is too small, you know, the label. I said, oh, maybe I should make my labels bigger? He says, no. He says, why don't you make each type a different color? The entire box, mm. like a red box, I'll know that's Cabernet Sauvignon. A blue box, I'll know that that's Chardonnay. A green box, I'll know that that's Sauvignon Blanc. And then I won't make these mistakes, see? Yep. Well, we did that for the whole country. But did you notice I didn't say anything about the features and benefits of our product? Sure. I really had to become humble and deal with, okay, then, if the wine isn't good enough, or if it isn't priced right, or if it isn't cute enough, what could it possibly be? Well, how about this confusion in a warehouse because of your packaging?
1: (laughs) A very nonverbal communication in that way. You can't see color combinations or those kinds of solutions.
2: Midnight in St. Paul, I get a big wake-up call.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a... Great example of the kinds of miscommunications that, like, you can take every course on the planet, but if the answer is make your boxes red, yellow, blue, and green, okay. You know, you, you can argue the logic of everything else you want, but no, sometimes it's the best solutions really are the simplest ones.
2: Yeah. And this is why, you know, as we got better at getting away from features and benefits and getting into what people really wanted we developed this slogan, we called it, make friends in low places. <laughs> These are people with dirt under their fingernails. They do the real job. You know, they're the yeah. truck drivers and forklift operators, you know, the, the clerks, you know, the people that are involved in the bowels of the system. Yes, they know. They know what works and what doesn't work because they see it go by every day the white collar people, they're liable to tell you something that sounds good or is popular, but not necessarily practical.
1: Yes. I remember interviewing for a faculty position at a university you know, years ago when that was my intended trajectory. And as part of the interview we were going through, they introduced me to the pool where all the cubicles were and all the administrative staff was. They introduced me, everybody was very nice. And I said, so let me get this straight. When I need something done, this is where I have to come, right? Because these are the people who understand how everything works. And they all went, oh, we like her. Yes, she's the one, bring her on. Like, didn't matter what the faculty wanted. They said, we want her, bring her on in here. So yeah, just understanding the value that people bring. It's, it's really critical. You can't just look at things from the top down. No. It's a lot of fun. So tell us then, what's a challenge that we can learn from you? What's something that you would like to give our listeners to do in the course of the next 24 hours to help them have greater influence. One step, what's your influence challenge of the day?
2: I would make it to go out and really talk to your potential customer and just have a chat and talk to him about his cat, talk to him about where he likes to go hiking, talk about whatever, his car. And in the process Try to find out what's really important to the person. When people have an opportunity to have an open ear, they tend to spill. So the challenge is get them to spill and take notes. And then tomorrow, read those notes. I think you'll be surprised by what you find out. And I think it will change your approach to that person.
1: And if they aren't in direct sales and working with directly with customers, this can be expanded to direct reports or to people in your IT department. It can be expanded to
2: outsource services, for instance. You know, what does my accountant really like? Okay, by talking to your accountant about what they really like, you have a better understanding about how to present things, when to present things, you know, how to frame questions you become much more efficient in your ability to communicate the more you know about people. And no, it doesn't have to just be a customer. You know, it can be your boss, it can be your direct report, it can be an outsourced person, it can be you name it a vendor, anybody that you're relating to. You know, we basically have three relationships. One relationship is our vendors or suppliers, those are people who are either selling us something or we need a service from them, mm-hmm. okay? And then there's people that actually work with us, and those are like direct reports, employees, or outsourced people. And then there is customers, and those are people who are actually paying us money for something, Sure. Some re- for some reason we are transacting with those people. And those are the three relationships that we need to try this exercise on.
1: All right. Everybody's got their marching orders. You need to go and learn who the people are behind the voices, behind the emails, behind the whatever, before you worry about their job, who are they and what's in it for them. So we've been talking about your journey and your building, your brand, your companies and your new Ventures with the audiobooks, but let's talk about guiding others along their journey as well within your company. So, whether it's with regard to succession planning or career advancement, etc., a common buzzword that we often hear is executive presence. How would you define it and how would you evaluate it in others?
2: Well, I think that this is really another word for leadership, but what it really means is That the people that work for you know a few things about you. One of the things that they know is, and this is probably the most important thing, and that is that you have their best interests at heart. So, what are those best interests? And we can talk about that for a half an hour. But so many employers tend to think that, well, you're getting paid a good salary, you know, what more do you want? You know, you're getting benefits, what more do you want? Well, maybe they want acknowledgement. Maybe they want peer acknowledgement. Maybe they want to be asked how to solve a problem. Maybe they want to be included in a problem. So that's an example. Another thing about executive presence is clear communication about the target, the goal. Where are we going, right? Hand on the tiller, steady, through the storm, through the wind, through the noise. Just keep going, right? And that's what they expect in an executive. They want a consistent message and they want it to be a reliable message. Mm. The other thing that they want from the leader is they want to know that they have achieved milestones, that they are making progress, because that's part of the reason why they throw in with the leader it's because the leader is able to demonstrate that his leadership or her leadership has definitely taken the ship in the right direction toward the port. So it is that constant feedback and status reporting back to the folks that are relying on the leader. So you see that the people who are like recognizing executive presence are recognizing three things. They're recognizing their importance to the leader, and that the leader has their best interests at heart, the fact that the leader has a goal and they're part of that goal and they understand how they fit into that goal, and that the leader is constantly reminding them of whatever progresses have been made. So those would probably be the three essentials. There's other things, but they kind of fit in under those three umbrellas.
1: Sure. So then when you're grooming a high potential employee for an executive position for promotion, Or you're looking to hire someone outside, what are the three most important communication skills that you look for?
2: Well, first thing I look for is, do they take responsibility for their own behavior? Or are they a blame gamer? If In the interview, one of the questions I always ask is, tell me about the biggest mistake you ever made and how you handled it. And if they say, "Oh well, you know the biggest mistake I made was I thought this about that, but you know there was really confusion about the way it was written and you know uh, basically anybody could have made this mistake and yeah. you know uh, you know we went on you know and 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 uh, achieved millions of dollars even though the mistake was made. That's the wrong answer, okay yeah. The right answer is I took complete responsibility for the mistake, and then I realized that several documents had to be changed in the future so that this wouldn't happen to somebody else. Uh, there was misunderstandings. You know, I've changed the way that I communicate with people. You know, here's the five things I did to solve the problem. Sure. Uh, that person is so hired, they are so hired. <laughs> so, so I look, that's really a leadership tell right there is taking responsibility. Sure. The other thing too that I look for in terms of leadership is people's ability to communicate with all kinds of people, because when you're a leader, you can't just have one style. I know there's this whole thing out there about what style of communicator are you, you know, are you aggressive? Are you this? you, You know, the heck with that noise. You have to communicate with everybody. So it really boils down to what we were talking about earlier. You know, can you as a leader find out what it is that you have to do, how it is that you have to frame your premises and your words with each individual that you're confronted with, that you have to work on. So that's also important. And one of the ways I find out about that is I bring other people into the interview who I know have very different personalities. Mm. And I let them take over different parts of the, of the uh, interview and sure. see if the person can be a chameleon may reflect their personalities and then the third thing that i look for is um discipline you Mm. know it's one thing to say oh yes i'll finish this job on time but will you finish the job on time if you have to work until midnight you know uh will you meet uh, deliverables no matter what You know, in other words, can I trust your word? You know, are you going to be somebody who I can depend on, right? And, um, of course, what happens with, at least happened with me, is I would bite off more than I could chew. I would say I could do things that I couldn't do, and then I would be up till midnight, you know, and sweating bullets right down to the deadline. And so I learned how to downbrag myself, you know, as as they say, you know, under-promise and over-deliver. Right. But I mean, those are all leadership skills that I look for, or what you call executive presence, yes.
1: Sure. So you know what the opposite looks like and how to use that as a red flag of sorts to decide, oh, okay, you decided to deflect that responsibility rather than taking it. So yeah, perhaps we won't hire you after all. That's that's a good red flag. And if there
2: is executive presence in the room, then there's low anxiety in the room, right? Hmm. There's low confusion in the room, right? right. People right. are peaceful. They're moving ahead, they're working their butts off, but they feel very confident that they're on the right track. And that's what it's all about.
1: So then when everybody's on the right track and they are coming now, they are reporting up to you with whatever information is, whether it's a pitch or an update or a quarterly progress of some sort, what do you wish they would all do or for that matter, stop
2: doing? Okay, well, this is a good question. And, you know, it's a real pet peeve of mine, especially with, say, folks that are kind of like under 40. You give them something to do, and they either do it or don't do it, but they don't tell you that they did it, and they don't tell you that they didn't do it. So, in other words, they are trying to hide behind vagaries. To the degree that if you call them on it and you say, you know, Bill, I, I gave you this two weeks ago. I haven't heard a word from you. I don't know where you are. You know, I'm up at night. I'm I'm worried about you now. Oh, I took care of that last week. See? Yeah. That's not a cool form of communication. And I wish they would stop it.
1: <laughs> so just to, to be proactive in giving updates and not just well, assume yeah. that you'll figure out that something got done.
2: Let me tell you, your boss is much happier hearing that you're going to miss the deadline or that it's too much work or that you can't do it than believing that you either did it or worrying that
1: you didn't. All right, everybody. So be proactive and let people know where things stand.
0: For better or for worse,
1: let me know. Don't make me guess. Don't make me follow up with you to figure it out. Exactly. And with that, that brings us to our speed round. So in the speed round, these are some issues that are common themes common challenges that arise in my coaching and in my training with people that i talk to all over the place. And one of the most common frustrations and fears that people express is that it's only them, that they're the only ones who struggle with these things, that everybody else has it so easy. And we want people to know, much like you described with the audio book, that they're not alone. So from there, in a very short either phrase or even single word, let's see where you stand on some of these things. And then We'll uh, ask you for a brief piece of insight as a result. So first of all, public speaking, love it or hate it, where do you stand?
2: I love it. I love it because it's humiliating. It's like looking in a mirror, and getting instant feedback from real people about whether or not you're getting across to them or they're checking their Facebook page. <laughs> you, you know it. You know it.
1: So can I make a qualification in there? Because somebody mentioned something to me a little while ago that I thought was genius insight. Would it be possible, would it be accurate to say perhaps that it is humbling, but not necessarily humiliating to me? And if, if I'm misinterpreting what you're saying, please correct me. But the distinction that was made was that what's humiliating strips away dignity, but that what's humbling restores it. Absolutely. I agree
2: with you 100%. It is humbling. What it does is it takes the ego down a notch and says, okay, then what do I have to do? And so it it forces you to seek help. It forces you to go out and find experts that can help you Mm -hmm. in communication or in stagecraft or voice lessons. I mean, There's so much to know if you're going to be doing public speaking, but it's just like anything, you know, do you like driving? Well, if you've never driven, you know, you're probably going to have a hard time, but after you learn how to drive, you're enjoying it, right? So that's the thing.
1: You just have to understand what the rules of the road are. And finding experts. There are so many experts out there to help with different aspects of those rule books, so to speak, and learning how to drive right side of the road, left side of the road, manual, automatic transmission, et cetera. So feel free. And for those of you who do need some of that help on the public speaking front, feel free to reach out and say hello. So question number two, introvert or extrovert, where do you fall?
2: Well, I am an extrovert, which has gotten me into a lot of trouble because (laughs) I will be very adamant about things that I'm wrong about. Okay, then I have to go back and eat crow. Right. But you can't change the stripes on the tiger. And instead of trying to basically muzzle myself, I've figured out what I can talk about and what I can't talk about. So, you know, I've learned how to defer. I've learned how to say, you know, I don't know. I've learned how to say I don't have an answer for that. I've learned how to say I'll seek an expert's opinion and get back to you. But
1: yeah, extrovert. It doesn't just mean that you're excellent at stuff. It doesn't just mean that you're an introversion and or extroversion is not genetically correlated to being good at public speaking either. So we want to make sure that we disabuse people of that concern. But that's a great area for growth is learning how to say, I don't know, and learning how to back off. I think a lot of us uh, on the extroverted side need to work on that as well. And my final speed round question for you is... When faced with conflict, either it comes at you or you need to engage somebody else, what's your genetic reaction? Fight, flight, freeze?
2: You know, it's not fight or flight, okay? It used to be fight because what it used to be was we'll just hammer them with features and benefits and pricing and show them why what you're offering is such an incredible value and why can't they see it? what's wrong with them, you know, but- what I'm doing now is I want to know what the other person wants. And the reason is, is because once you know what the other person wants, you are going to get what you want, you know, because now once you know what they really want, you can give it to them. Right. You give it to them in exchange for some of the things you want. See, but you can't get them to do what you want without knowing what they want. So this gets back to what we opened our interview with, which is putting yourself in the other guy's shoes. I don't think it has to be fight, flight, or freeze. I think it can be ask and listen.
1: Exactly. And my goal is not to convince people to pick one. It's the fact that most people's initial instinct is in one of those directions. But the idea, of course, as we evolve and grow and mature and learn is to figure out that we shouldn't just allow ourselves to run to that first extreme, but to figure out a better solution. So I I love your advice and for people to be able to recognize, okay, my instinct may be telling me to do this, but let's see what other options we can find that'll be more productive for everybody. So thank you for sharing that. And that actually is a great way to bring everything to a close and wrap it up. Uh, As you mentioned, right back to where we started with the idea of putting ourselves in the other person's shoes. So with that, Michael, tell us, how can people learn more about you and your organization?
2: Well, I have several places you can go, but I'll just make it real easy for you. Go to thebarefootspirit.com. So the Barefoot Spirit, that's the spirit behind the Barefoot brand. Now that you've heard us talk a little bit, you know that it was more of a business mindset than a wine brand. And that's the part that has survived the wine brand, uh, survived the sale. It's what we're doing today, thebarefootspirit.com.
1: That's great. And is there anything that you wanted to offer our guests today?
2: Well, I would like to offer our guests a free chapter of our new what we call business audio theater book. You'll get a big kick out of it. It's got actors and actresses. It's got scenes and outcomes. It has music. It has sound effects. It's uh, 3D audio. It's something like you've never heard before. I'm going to give you a free chapter. Okay. It's 25 minutes. Maybe if you like it, you want to buy the rest of the book. But uh, you will, trust me. <laughs> and I'm going to uh, make sure that Laura has it in her show notes. And uh, I, yes. And please let us know what you think about it because we're really big on feedback. Or as we say at the Barefoot Spirit, we want feedback.
1: <laughs> ah, that's great. I love it. I have to figure out a way to steal that and, and use it somehow because that's really cute. <laughs> so once again, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Everybody else, by all means, download that chapter. You will not want to miss it of The Barefoot Spirit. And remember, of course, everybody, if you want to download our quick start guide to mastering the three C's, command the room, connect with the audience and close the deal to speaking to I'm Dr. Laura Sokola and you are listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. See you next time.